Well, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to do a Mother's Day entrance like I do Father's Day entrances. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I don't know if it fits in the door. Um, man, I, I, happy Mother's Day. Really, I mean, I think I win this year. I'm taking my mom to the Holy Land in three weeks. And, uh, uh, you know, she's never been over there, so I'm excited. Happy Mother's Day to you, Mom. And besides, she got to have me. So, I mean, how does she not win, really? Seriously. <laughs> Then again, as a husband taking care of your wife on Mother's Day, not always perfect, right? A couple years ago, my wife said, uh, man, I'd like to, she just kind of randomly, you know, one winter said, man, I'd really like to be six again. And uh, I kind of clicked into my memory bank. And and so Mother's Day came around. I thought, I got this. So I got her up on Mother's Day, gave her a big bowl of Cocoa Pebbles. That's her favorite, you know. That's what she had for breakfast. I said, load up. We're going to Six Flags. We went to Six Flags all day on Mother's Day. We rode all the rides. We got cotton candy and everything, you know. I mean, we just did did everything. About late afternoon, we went to McDonald's. I got her a Happy Meal with extra fries and a chocolate shake. And, And then we headed off to the latest Disney movie. And we sat there and we ate popcorn and drank Cokes, and we just had a blast, and, and we kind of, you know, muddled home, kind of wobbled home, and finally crawled into bed, and I, sa- I leaned over, and I said, so, how did you like being six again? She got a quizzical look, and then she had that look, and then she said, you idiot, I meant dress size. <laughs> This doesn't always go so good for the husband, does it? Motherhood is something that we celebrate because nobody works harder than our moms. I mean, we we understand that. That's that's why we have a day for it. But on the other hand, we also know that there are a lot of emotions that can get, you know, wrestled up at Mother's Day. I know that it's a a bittersweet day for a lot of people. Uh, Somebody wrote this. Let me just kind of give you this as a blessing from no no matter where you're coming from today. If If you're a mom or if you're a lady out there, really everybody can relate to this. To those who gave birth to their first child this year, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss this year through miscarriage or failed adoptions, running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility with the pokes and the prods and the hurts and the disappointments, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it already is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. And to those who have disappointment and heartache and distance with your children, we sit with you. For those who lost mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of their mother, we acknowledge your experience and we hurt with you. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and overall tests of motherhood, We are better for having you in our midst. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you at the same time. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprised, we anticipate with you. To some moms in Cleveland who got their broken daughters back this week, we rejoice and we pray with you. And this Mother's Day, to all of you, no matter what, we walk with you. 
I, I just want you to know that no matter how you came in here, you know, we're here for you. We want to help you. We want to bless you. And we realize that it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, so we try to make Mother's Day fun. I, I talked to a lady who was here last night, and she said, you made me cry. You made me laugh. I said, well, that's the, that's the goal of Mother's Day. I've got to make them cry, make them laugh, and read an Irma Bombeck. And that's the Mother's Day trifecta, okay? That's how it works. Um, but, but we really want to help you laugh. So we put together this little number. Um, if you ever listen to the radio at all, you'll kind of recognize it. We twisted it around a little bit. It's just a little fun. Um, we're uh, in the middle of a series. It's kind of going to seem weird if you're just popping in like your mom made you come to church today. Welcome. We're glad you're here. It's going to seem a little weird because we're talking about heaven and how to prepare for heaven. There's this show on uh, National Geographic called Doomsday Preppers, and it's about the people that are preparing for what happens later on. And I thought, you know what? It, it's, it's important for us to prepare for Doomsday. And as a parent, there's really not anything more important. Matter of fact, I believe the most important gift a mom or dad can give is eternal life. I know some parents, you know, they, they want to give material wealth to their kids, and that's all wonderful and good. I hope my parents do. But Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We know that, right? Others, others say, well, I want to give my kid the top education, which is wonderful. I do too, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You've got, you've got to remember that. Some parents say, well, I want my kids to be popular, which is okay, but Jesus said, woe when all men speak well of you. How about, well, I want my kid to be attractive or athletic. What does the Bible say? Well, God does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. You see, we've got we to gotta think about I mean, none of those things are wrong. I want them all for my children. I really do. But they're not the most important thing. The kingdom of heaven is the most important thing. The, the Bible writer James, brother Jesus, said it this way. He said, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You're a mist. See that? You know what that is? That is bacon spray, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm just going to keep this in my car forever. Is this great? Bacon spray. Did you hear about the lady that lived to be 105, and they asked her what the secret was this week? Did you see her? Her name was Pearl Cantrell. She, she said the secret to her long life was she ate bacon every day. And they showed up in the Oscar Mayer Wiener mobile to give her a ride. That's how much Oscar Mayer loved this lady. If, 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 that's nothing to do with what I'm talking about. If, if mist is what is our life, it's just that little vapor, it's just going to be there for a little bit, then that should make us think about how we raise our children, right? I mean, if James is right, we're going to look back someday and we're going to realize that we just had a brief little window. It's just a little mist. So we need to think of Mother's Day in that context because Jesus said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And all those other things are fine. But we talked about last week how we live in a tent. Okay? This is a tent. Paul called the body a tent. Just a little camping trip. What's important that we pass on is faith. And moms get to do that. Paul told Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which lived in your grandmother first. And in your mother Eunice also, and I'm persuaded, now lives in you. We don't know anything about Timothy's father or grandfather. We don't know if they were around or if they're faith people or what. All we know is that his faith, very important person in the Bible, his faith came down through the mom line. Had a conversation several years ago with a guy at the health club just talking about kids and stuff. And he was involved in church, not our church, but he was kind of nominally involved in church. But it was baseball season. It was, it was this time of year. And he was like, yeah, we haven't been to church very much because, you know, it's baseball season, really busy these days, but you've got to think about what's important. 
And I was kind of, I mean, he knew, he knew what I did. He knew who I was. I was kind of like, okay, where's this going to go? And I said, yeah, well, what, what is important? And he said, hitting a curveball. <laughs> you know, really, it, at the end of our little mist, and let me just ask you, any older people in here, do, do you look back at the mist that you had your kids for and go, man, I wish I would have spent more time teaching them how to hit a curveball? Anybody? I mean, we got a, maybe a half a dozen people that played pro ball that go to Parkview, and you know what? I'm sure none of their moms would ever even, even that. We, I got a guy that played 12 years in the bigs and has got two World Series rings that goes to Parkview, and I know his mom would not say the most important thing would ever hit in a curveball. We understand that those are not the priorities that we're supposed to have. We understand that polls tell us 85% of us know that we have responsibility for the spiritual direction of our kids. I don't think most of us do it on purpose like that guy. I think we just forget what our real responsibility is. I read an article about a social worker who uh, who found this kid in the ghetto who had a crippled up leg and uh, and she realized that this leg could be taken care of if she got him to the right doctor so she found a doctor who would do the surgery she took him to rehab and, and as she's writing the story she paused and she said do you know where that kid is today and she said, I know your reaction is probably, oh, he's probably, you know, doing something great, or he's a doctor, or he's a politician, or he's doing something really important. She said, no, he's in jail today for armed robbery. And she said this, she said, you see, I spent all my time teaching him how to walk, and no time teaching him where to walk. I spent my time teaching him to hit a curveball but, you know, I, I forgot about what was really important. So, so if we think about prepping, I mean, this is what we ought to be doing as Christians is prepping. This mist thing ought to be all about heaven. It ought to be about preparing our kids for heaven. And I have to say, whenever I talk about anything that has to do with this, I always throw a disclaimer out that says that just because you do everything that you think you can do to help a kid, you can be the perfect parent and your kid still has freedom of choice. Alright, so if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, yeah, my kid's not walking with Jesus, or my, my kid's not, you know, he's not prepared for heaven or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean it was your fault, because God made Satan, and Satan had free will, and he rebelled against God. And I guarantee you, God was the perfect heavenly father, okay? So, so if, if they ought for free will, it may not be your fault. Judas had the same free will as the other 11 disciples, and he decided not to follow Jesus. Not Jesus' fault, okay? You've got to understand that. But it is never, listen to me, it is never an accident when a child grows up to be a God-honoring, kingdom-of-heaven citizen. One of the stories that we hit in the story that I didn't, you know, we didn't get near enough time for because we were talking about Samuel and David was uh, the story of Hannah. I think it's one of the great mother stories in the Bible. And, and I want to turn now. We're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel, beginning of 1 Samuel, if you've got your Bibles. It's a time when um, they said everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, this is a time of judges. This is a time when God wasn't speaking very much to His people because they were just doing whatever they wanted to. And I know that a lot of times we feel like, you know, our time is so bad because we've got drugs and gangs and porn and school shootings and national disasters and planking and twilight movies and all this stuff that nobody had ever before, right? Okay. But the truth is, other times have been hard to raise a family. And Hannah's time was an evil time, and yet she raised a son to honor God, a son that actually changed the course of human history when we read about Samuel along the way. Now her problem was she didn't have children. 
And many of you know that pain. I realize how hard Mother's Day is. I know some ladies who have infertility issues don't even bother coming on Mother's Day because they don't want to deal with the, the pain that's going on in their life. The other problem is that she lives in a polygamous society and the other wife has uh, kids and the other wife doesn't like her. As a matter of fact, the other wife, we don't know her name, she's just called the rival. How nice is this house? Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah, okay, I, I, when I preach about this in November, I mentioned this is stupid husband moment 102 in the Bible as I'm counting. Her husband Elkanah would say, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Stupid husband moment number 102, right? Reminds me of the old rich guy who married the young swimsuit model. And he said, honey, if I lost all my money, would you still love me? And she said, well, yes, I'd love you. I'd miss you, but I'd love you. <laughs> so so one, year, one year they visit the tabernacle, right? One year they visit the tabernacle and they go to this place and they try to figure out, you know, what, what's going on and they're going to pray and they're going to have all this conversation. And here's where we hear the heart of, of, of really where Hannah really is. Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. And here's the deal she makes with God. Then I will give him over to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Okay? He's going to be on Duck Dynasty, right? What does that mean? No, what, what that means is he's take, that's a Nazarite vow, okay? Just for frame of reference, Samson, John the Baptist, other people that you know of in the Bible, that was a vow that meant you were going to dedicate your child to the Lord, and he was going to be in this special category. He wasn't going to drink alcohol, he wasn't going to shave, wasn't going to cut his hair, wasn't going to do some other things, okay? That's what she was saying. She was saying, Lord, if you will do something for me, I'm going to offer him right back to you. I'm going to offer my most precious thing back to you. Okay, and, 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 and so her bargain meant that she would get to raise this kid till he was about five, and then he would have to go live with the priest for the rest of his life, and she'd only get to visit. And that, that doesn't sound like a great deal, does it? I mean, maybe it does to you. You'd like to only see your kid like once a year, but it probably isn't. So here are some quick lessons for us from Hannah's life on motherhood, and I think they'll apply to any of us, even if you're a grandparent, even if you're a dad, even if you're single. I think this will apply to all of us because we're going to see this woman of faith. Number one, Hannah worshipped God faithfully, right? Year after year, Elkanah went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. All right. Big deal, right? Well, Jewish men were required to go worship at the tabernacle three times a year, but women were never required to go. But Hannah was there. She always went. She was a, a woman of worship. It says early the next morning they arose and they worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home at Ramah. Okay? Worship was something that they did together. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about God in general. Okay? We get a further glimpse into Hannah's heart as we see what she prays. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth is boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like you, Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. That's the faith that this woman possessed. She was honoring God, and it was in the fabric of her life, and it was a legacy that she was building into her children before she even had them. Number two, Hannah prayed to God about her deepest needs. In her deep anguish, Many of you can relate to this. Maybe you're here today. I, I want you to understand this. In your deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Hannah knew heartache. 
I like to point these things out because some people want to think that the Bible's just full of all wonderful stories. No, it's not. She had heartache. Ladies, if you're, if you're suffering with something today on Mother's Day, understand from the story of Hannah. Her inability to bear children was not just about the fact that she wanted children, but back in that culture, you need to understand that people thought that if you couldn't have kids, it was because God was withholding His blessing on you. And there must be some sin in your life. There must be something wrong with you. Like Job's friends, when Job had all his problems, they kept saying, Job, what have you done? What have you done? That's what everybody did to infertile women back in that day. That was what was going on in her heart. And she wept bitterly, and the Bible says that she was praying so intently that when Eli the priest came by, he thought she was drunk. But when's the last time you prayed about something so intently that somebody thought you were wasted? She explained the situation to him. Eli said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me pray for you. He blessed her. He asked God to do what she wanted. Now, moms, I've got to ask you, what do you do when life gets hard? Do your kids see where your faith is? Do they see you trying to take care of your own problems? I mean, this tent we live in, Paul said, is burdensome. We groan here. There are problems. We need to be real about that. So do your kids see you fixing it yourself or worrying about it? Or do they see you seeking dependence upon God? Hannah took her heartache to God. That's what she did. That's one of the things my wife passed on to our kids is that, that she was praying every morning as they were leaving for school. They'd see her with her journal and her Bible and they knew she was dependent on God. Do your kids hear you pray? I, I don't mean like the Mother's Day card I saw that said, Mom, I remember the prayer you taught me when, you, when we were little. God help you if you ever do that again. It's really comforted me. I don't mean like that. I mean, I mean like, really. Greg Johnson and Mike Yorkie wrote a book about faithful families, and uh, they interviewed all these people about what, what it was that their parents instilled in them in faith. And a part of it was prayer. One guy said, you know what, my dad would pray every night, God, please make me a better dad. And that just made me comforted in the fact that he knew he wasn't perfect, and then he wanted the Almighty to help him. Another one said, you know, I see my mom and dad down on their knees in prayer, and I knew they were praying for me, and that was important. I've talked about the experience of, of praying for you know, our kids, we prayed for our kids all their life, but one of the things we caught on early was uh, praying for their spouses. And now that we're on the other end, the two of the three of them, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. When I got up at my oldest daughter's wedding and, and, and realized that my son-in-law who was this guy that I've been praying for. I didn't know who he was, and I was praying for him. I was sure he was in the United States of America. I had no idea. He was a Brit with a funny accent and a funny name. I had no idea. I just was praying for him, right? This is what happens along the way when you can look back and go, you know what, God, this is awesome what you've done in our life, and it's the result of prayer. Reggie Joyner said the prayer, most feeble prayer of a mother or father kneeling at a child's bed at bedtime is more powerful than the most articulate prayer of a seasoned leader on Sunday morning. I totally agree with that. And it's never too late to start. Number three, Hannah took her heartache to God and then she left her heartache in God's hands. Listen to this. This is the best verse in the deal. May your servant <clears throat> find favor in your eyes. Listen to this. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Now I've got to point out, there was no voice from heaven. There was no you know, sign from God. No angel showed up. She still didn't know what was going to happen. This is called faith. She went on her way. She ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Somehow the act of praying for her and trust for her went together. And she knew that God could say no because sometimes He does. 
She knew that God could say, you know, maybe later, because sometimes God does. But she had come to the conclusion that her life was in God's hands, and she was confident about that. Moms and dads, I mean, is that how your kids see you? Do they understand that? I mean, it's easy to get discouraged, and it's easy to worry as a mom, isn't it? Isn't it, mom? I saw one card that had a lady with a sign on the street corner that said, we'll worry for food. Now, I mean, that, that's, you know, that kind of goes with the territory. That's what moms are supposed to do. But somehow Hannah was able to go, you know what, God, I'm going to give this to you, and then I'm going to trust. Well, the fourth thing is, Hannah kept her promise to God. Now, I mean, this is where things get hard. I mean, she'd made an agreement with God. She gets pregnant. She has a son. And after he was weaned, she did what she said she was going to do. As young as he was, that phrase is important. Like I said, he was probably five. They brought the boy to Eli. She said to him, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Remember the lady you thought was drunk? That was me, and he answered my prayer. And I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, and for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And they worshiped the Lord there. And I mean, isn't that beautiful? I've got to call time out for a second and just under, help you to understand that not everything in the Bible is, you know, like a good idea all the time. If you bring your kids here and drop them off for me to raise, it's not going to go very well for them or you, okay? Just want to say. But, but I do believe, guys, I really do believe that involvement in church activities and things like that, I mean, they are so important. We've got children, so, I mean, we've got one of the best children's programs in the country. There's no doubt about it. Get them here. Get them. I mean, you already do. I understand that. But whatever, you're watching on the Internet. This is, this is why church involvement ought to be important. Okay? I mean, they need to be here. We've got children's boot camp coming up in July. Get them signed up for that. If you've got junior hires or senior hires, they've got a summer calendar out there for you with all the events. Junior hire are going to have a, a big conference called Stand in July. They've got a missions trip. The CIY for the high schoolers is the most life-changing event in my kids' family, in my kids' entire history, was going to Christ and Youth Conference. This is the last weekend you can sign up for it. Get your kid there. You know what? I don't care about baseball camp. Nobody cares that they can hit a curveball, all right? Change your family vacation. You're only here for a little miss. Get out there and get your kids where they need to be because this is about life and death. This is eternal. Our life is just, it's just a miss. That's all it is. We got, we got this much time with them. That's all we got, that. And then it fades away. And then eternity happens. The statistics are that right now, 21-year-olds, 17% of 21-year-olds have a faith that they claim as their own. 21-year-olds, there's only 17% of them right now. That's the lowest that it has ever been in history. This next generation is not getting the faith. And and I don't know why, uh, you know, but we have to do something about it. Conversation with a guy last week who was telling me, you know what, my wife and I get a lot out of this style of a worship service and this kind of a church, but our kids get more out of this kind of a church and this kind of experience. I don't know what to do. And I, I just looked him in the eye and said, You've you got to do what's right for your kids. I mean, that's not true in every realm, but with this, you've got to do what's right for your kids because you've got the rest of your life to do stuff for yourself. My kids are grown. I can go to a snake handling church if I want to because they're card-carrying legal residents of the kingdom of heaven. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. And don't worry, I'm not going to start that. I'm just, you know, using a graphic illustration. <laughs> However, back in the day, 
My wife, this is, I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly, but when my wife and I came to this church 23 years ago, our oldest daughter was two and a half years old. It was a church of 150 people. There really wasn't a youth program to speak of at all. And uh, we, we felt like God had called us to this place, but we made an agreement with each other because this was going to be important to us. And Denise and I said, you know what? If we, uh, by the time Rachel gets to junior high, if, we are not, if we're not grown to the place where we can have a thriving student ministry, we're making a commitment right now. We're leaving. We're out of here. Now, thankfully, by the time she got there, you know, not only was it good, it was fantastic. And, and I credit our student ministry with so many things that helped my kids grow up to love Jesus. But if it wouldn't have been there, we, we, would, we would have left, and I work here. You've got to make decisions based on eternity. That's what's important. And the primary responsibility for what goes on is not what happens here at church. The primary responsibility for spiritual direction is what happens in the home. Rudyard Kipling, I quote this every year, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. All right? I could pound, I can literally pound your kids if you want me to, but it's not going to matter if there's not an ounce of mother back home. So this is where it's coming from. And this is where Hannah gave the vow. She gave the vow, she clearly said, I made this promise to you, God, and so I'm going to keep this. Just a beautiful picture of Hannah giving little Samuel away. I mean, imagine, imagine what it's like as she's realizing she's only going to get him for a short time. You know it must have ripped her heart out. But she was a woman of faith. She was a woman of prayer. And you know you have to let go at some point anyway. I mean, you realize that, right? I mean, I've I, I got to tell you, you know, I've been... You know, I've got a kid in Nashville, I've got a kid in St. Louis, I've got a kid in L.A. who's going to go spend the summer in Africa. I mean, at some point you've just got to say, God, this is what's going to happen. This is where it's going to go. But when you understand that you're the temporary parent, you understand that you're just a tent parent, right? When you remember that and that their real Heavenly Father is their real Father, then none of that other stuff matters because you can trust God then. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a temporary guy. I'm just a temp that God allowed in my kid's life for a little amount of time. Last thing we see is that Hannah maintained a loving relationship with her son. I mean, I know that's not easy for us to do. Sometimes they don't want it. But listen to this. Each year, his mother made a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to do the annual sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. It sounds like once a year, that's all she got to see him. Now, I really think that my theory is that this is just one example. She went to the temple at least three times, so she got to see him three times. I'm guessing that she made the trip to Shiloh more often and hung out with him. She never stopped loving him. At some point, you've got to let them go, but you never stop loving them, and you understand that. Here's, here's what's important about this story. Little could she know that someday this little man who God had blessed her with, that he would one day become the man who would bring the nation into its new era, its new great era, that he would anoint King David someday. She could not know that. Couldn't possibly one commentator said Hannah's sight did not extend that far. She didn't have any idea who this little guy was going to be, but her faith did. So she brought her son up to be somebody who could be a light in the darkness, somebody who could change the world. Third John, John wrote, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. That was her number one priority, and it ought to be ours. So how did it turn out? The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. 
What does that mean? Well, remember, we're in the time of judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there wasn't a very good relationship between God and His people because the people were always unfaithful. They kept going back and forth and back and forth. So God wasn't speaking very much. And honestly, Eli wasn't a very good priest. His sons turned out to be awful. And so God wasn't really talking to, you know, to, to Eli very much either. For centuries, this has been going on. There's very rarely a word from the Lord. And when there was, it was a word of, you guys need to get your junk together. That was basically it. But one night, as Samuel is sleeping, he hears a voice. And he immediately assumes that it's Eli. And Eli says, it wasn't me. And he goes back and he lays down again. And he hears the voice again. And he assumes it is Eli. And Eli goes goes back to Eli. And Eli says, it wasn't me. Here's how rare the word of the Lord was. Okay? It takes three times for Eli to even, for it to even dawn on him that maybe God has a message. That maybe God is talking. The third time, Eli says, go back to your bed and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God gave him a message. And then we go on and we see the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and none of Samuel's words fell to the ground and all of Israel recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord continued to appear and he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Why did God finally break the silence? Why did the relationship between God and his entire chosen people get redeemed? I think it was because of one mother's prayer. That's what I think. Now here's your Irma Bombeck. I see children as kites. You spend a lifetime trying to get them off the ground. You run with them until you're breathless. They crash. You add a longer tail. You patch. You comfort. You adjust and you teach. You assure them that someday they will fly. And finally they're airborne. But they need more string and you keep letting it out. And with each twist of the string, the kite becomes a little bit more distant. And you know it won't be long before that beautiful creature will snap the lifeline that bound you together and soar, free and alone. Only then do you know that you did your job. It's not bad. You get them started, you give them a little more string, you let them out slowly. But there's a real flaw with that analogy. I don't think Emma Bombeck really understands kite flying, do you? Because when the string snaps, yeah, it flies free for about 30 seconds, and then what does it do? It comes crashing back down to the earth. Good analogy, just the wrong way around. Because if you want your kids to come crashing back down to earth... Make sure they know how to hit a curveball. But if you want them to fly free where God wanted them to be, then make sure you started out by tying them to the rock that is Jesus Christ. The, the rock that you're supposed to build your faith on. And you hold the string and you help Jesus those 18 years or however many you get while you're letting the string out a little bit and a little bit at a time. And finally, at some, some point, you'll be able to let go of it. It'll be anchored in the rock and then it will fly the way that it needs to. Remember the words of Jesus. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? So as we close, we're going to... We're going to do a little Lady Antebellum song, great song for Mother's Day. It's really, really, really great. I I want want us to move forward, okay? I don't want anything that's gone on today to be about guilt or guilt-inducing. If you're looking back thinking, man, I should have been a better mother, better father, whatever, join the club. We're all imperfect parents. That's why, thankfully, there is a Heavenly Father. I want you to think about moving forward. 
as a parent, grandparent, whoever you are, with kids in your life, single, it doesn't matter. Think about moving forward and what you can do to help bring heaven into the life of the kids that are in your life. That's what's really, really important, moving forward. And if you had a a great mom, then make sure you're thinking about that while we do this song and honor her, because we're supposed to honor our father and mother. But if for whatever reason Mother's Day is a tricky, tricky day for you, we changed the words in the last verse just a little bit. So, so that it could be twisted around to the point where you realize that really you have a heavenly parent that takes care of you. You have a heavenly father who loves you and is the one that's really always with you. If your mom was great, then she was just an example of who God is. If your mom wasn't great, you still have a great heavenly father who is taking care of you. And either way, you are never alone. The interesting thing is, some of you may not know that you actually have a loving Heavenly Father. When Jesus told the prodigal son's story, uh, it was very plain that no matter what, uh, the father loved the son, whether he was gone or whether he was home. He loved both of his sons, and he loves all of his children. And we read that verse last week, that God does not want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So you need to understand, you are his child one way or the other. You may not have ever accepted the adoption into his family. I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now, but please understand that that God loves you and that you are never alone. And he loved you so much that back when he only had one son, he gave him up so he could be sacrificed on the cross so that by his perfect sacrifice, we could be saved from our sins. And now we can be the adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel for Mother's Day. Let's pray together. God, if there are people in here who don't know how badly you've been searching the horizon for them, help them to know that right now you're doing that very thing. And if they will turn just for a moment and and come back to you from wherever they are, that you will come running and you will wrap them in your arms and you will have a party, you will put the robe on and you will welcome them home because they're never alone. That, that if there are people in this room that need to accept the adoption procedure in their life, that they can turn to you right now and, and to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I want to live for you. I, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. As I take communion right now, it will be an opportunity for me to say to you, I'm accepting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for my sin. I'm acknowledging the fact that I'm a sinner and that I need amazing grace. Be with us as we do this. And and for all of us, Lord, for our moms, we bless them for the painful times that are represented here today. We ask a blessing on them and help us to remember that this life that we live in, it's just a a little mist. It's going to be over very soon. We're going to be where we need to be with you forever. And, And that is going to be, that is going to be glory. That is going to be heaven. That is going to be perfect. Till then we know that we're never alone. And it's symbolized by this beautiful gift right now. Be with us as we commune. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.